Well, hello there. Welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares work harder. Don't you just love that as a strap line? I'm trying to figure out like what I'm going to say at the start of this podcast. And last week I came off with something like where we, you know, teach you how to live a happier and more purposeful life. And then I listened back to the podcast this week when I was walking. I was like, uh, no, Kim, <laughs> that's really not really. It just wasn't resonating with it when I said it because, you know, the, the kind of crux of this podcast truly is nobody cares work harder said with a big hug and a big lot of love. But um, anyway, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. What are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about the R word. Do you know what the R word is? The R word is responsibility. And you're like, we're going to talk about responsibility. Yes, we are going to talk about responsibility. We're going to talk about it as it relates to resilience, because I've had a lot of questions this week from people asking me, just saying like, Kim, seriously, how are you so resilient? Like, how do you do what you do every day? And I guess what has inspired this podcast too was I was uh, recently a guest on Sheila Bella's podcast uh, called The Pretty Rich Podcast, and she entitled the podcast Ripped and Rich. And uh, during the podcast, it was quite funny because she was asking me, she was like, seriously, Kim, like, how is it that you are both ripped and rich? Because she said most people have a lot of success in one area or the other, but very, very rarely do people have success in both. And I suppose I'd never really thought about it before in that way, but it really got me thinking, you know, how how am I? <laughs> like, you know, how do I devote two to three hours a day to training, but also run my company, but also homeschool my kids and also launch a second company? Like, how is it that I have developed myself to be so resilient that I can take on so much and I can grow exponentially in many, many areas? So, you know, I would say I'm a person who... um is fulfilling a lot of my potential. Although it's funny, I was chatting to my coach the other day and she said to me, Kim, you haven't even scraped the surface of your potential. She said, I cannot wait to see what you're going to actually do. And I was like, are you kidding me? And she said, no. She said, oh my God, you haven't even scraped the surface of what that you, what you're capable of doing. And that really got me thinking about, you know, the people who write to me and, and this podcast and online and on Instagram and ask me questions, you know, how can we become resilient? Because it is something that has been very close to my heart for a long time in that I do believe that human beings are capable of so much more than they currently do. I believe we as human beings, you listening to this, have so much more potential than you are allowing yourself to explore or believe or have, but just that you don't have the tools to allow you or to push you or to guide you into doing more with your life. So what I want to do today is not only teach you about how I believe that I became resilient, about what responsibility means and how it relates to resilience, but also to give you some strategies and some tools for how you can uh, use these concepts to develop more responsibility in your life, to develop more resilience and ultimately achieve a higher potential, achieve more of the potential that is within you. Because I do believe that you are capable of so much more than you give yourself credit for, if indeed that is what you want for your life. So before we get into the content, uh, we don't forget that uh, actually today is the 1st of November that I am um, 
I am recording this podcast. So we are going to be choosing the winner of October's podcast giveaway this week. And we're going to be announcing it next week on the podcast. But you can now enter for November. You can leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast and send me a screenshot um, at thesculptedvegan.com. Send me a screenshot on Instagram. If you don't send me a screenshot, you will not be entered into the review. A top tip as well is to take a screenshot of the review before you click to post it because sometimes it can disappear into the abyss on iTunes. And people keep saying, I don't know where my, my review went. It completely disappeared. So take a screenshot before you send it, um, before you press send. Send it to me on Instagram. And you could be in with the chance of winning one of our Sculpted Vegan programs. We will do the draw for November at the start of December. And it could be you who wins. Okay, so let's get into the content today. What does it mean to be responsible for something? Well, first of all, what I want to say is that um, resilience, which is what I was asked for specifically this week, many people saying, Kim, you should do a, a podcast on resilience. Resilience is something that we develop. It's not something that we are born with. And some of us learn it in childhood, but if you don't learn it in childhood, then it is something that you have to teach yourself as an adult because we we quite often think that people are born a certain way. We'll say, oh, somebody, you know, she's born that way, or I would love to be more like her, or I would love to do the things that she does or he does. But what we don't realize is that that person developed the strength, developed the emotional strength, the physical strength, or the resilience, or in some way made the choice, whether that was as a child through forced, through a forced situation or whether that is as an adult, voluntarily, they quite often have chosen to be that way and they've chosen to develop that side of themselves and that they, you are not a victim of who you are or how you act and you can actually make different choices in your life. And I guess I developed a lot of resilience simply because of my situation whenever I was growing up because I was the youngest of three girls. So I was, my mom had three in three years, God bless her. She was only 20 whenever she had my oldest sister, Carol. So there's Carol, who's now 44, Carrie, who's 43, and me, who's 41. So I always used to complain to mom that it wasn't fair. There was two and a half years between Carrie and I because she should have just had me as quickly after Carrie as she did Carol. Oh, how naive I was. I think she had Carrie 13 months after having Carol, and then there's two and a half years between Carrie and I. So we go in and I of sequence for a while. There's a couple of months of the year where we go 44, 43, 42. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I was the youngest of three girls and I was always the confident one. And I think that that comes from being the youngest child. I think that anyone here who is, you know, the youngest child, I certainly see it with Jack, my youngest, you know, you have your older siblings and you're always, you know, you've never been alone in inverted commas. You've never been the oldest one and the responsible one. You've never been the middle one with only one, one child above you. You know, I always had my two sisters above me. So I guess I always had that feeling of always being part of a group, always being taken care of, always being, um, never having to kind of figure it out or feel threatened or whatever in the world. And so I always had this innate confidence. Well, I'm also an Aries. So Aries are very, very confident people anyway. I don't, I'm not a big star sign person, but I am very, very true to my star sign. My birthday is the 14th of April, so I'm right in the middle of Aries. So I was a very confident person as a child anyway. And I was the one who was always like put forward to speak up for my sisters. So if we ever got in trouble with my parents and we were like told to go to our rooms, then, you know, I I was, I was always like, Kim, you go downstairs and you try and speak to mom and you try and talk around or if mom was ever cross with us because we did something, you know, we were made a big mess or whatever, which we did frequently, then I was always the one who was told, you know, Kim, go and speak to mom. 
you go make her feel better. You go and do this. You go and, you know, try and get around her. Or whenever it was Christmas morning and one of us had to go and see it's Santa Claus Bean, I was always the one who was sent downstairs. You go and see a Santa Bean. You go and speak to that person. Kim, you go and ask for that thing. You know, whenever we went shopping or whenever we went to, you know, out for dinner or whatever, if one of us had to go up and ask for like a bottle of Coke at the bar, you know, if we were at the golf club, whatever, it was always, Kim, you go, Kim, you go, Kim, you go. So my sisters were always pushing me forward as the confident one. And I guess I probably believed as a young age, uh, now that I'm just thinking about it, as I'm talking about it, I probably believed that because um, they were asking me to do it, that they believed in my abilities to do it. And I never thought to question whether I could do it or couldn't do it. They were asking me to do it. And it's nice when you're young to be asked to do something and given that responsibility. So you just go ahead and do it. There was no downside for me. So I was always the one who kind of, you know, was put forward to speak. But then what happened was I inadvertently kind of became the caretaker of my sisters in a way that probably I wasn't prepared for emotionally, but, you know, I just had to buckle up and do it whenever we all went to boarding school. So my mom, for whatever reason, my mom and my dad, but it was definitely where my mom decided for whatever reason, whenever I was, um, let me think, I was, I had just turned eight years of age. So my birthday was the, four, I remember it clear as day, my birthday was the 14th of April and we all went to boarding school whenever I was... I think it was the 23rd of April we went. So it was just about nine days after my eighth birthday. And obviously, whenever you're eight, you're very young and emotional and mature. And we grew up in the country. So we were, you know, um, we lived right next door to my my grandma and my great grandmother. They lived together like other house adjoined ours on our farm in a little place called Island McGee, a little country town. And so we had had a very, very... Um, Oh, I can't even think of the word. I was going to say closet, not closeted upbringing. As in, we, my parents, you know, my dad ran his own business. We were always traveling out and around the place. We went on many vacations. So it wasn't, you know, very insular, but it was certainly a very wholesome, I think that's the word I'm looking for, a very wholesome upbringing. And so, we all went to boarding school. My mum decided for whatever reason to send us all to boarding school whenever we were very young, uh, probably to get rid of us to get some peace because I think that she was quite stressful looking after three young children, three young girls who constantly fought. So we all went to boarding school and we went to boarding school. It was about The, the boarding school was about an hour away by car, so it wasn't too far away. And we went there from uh, Sunday evening until uh, Saturday afternoon. So they had Saturday morning school at the boarding school as well. So quite a very, very academic school. And we, my, someone would have picked us up from school at about 12.30 on a Saturday. And we got home from 12.30 until uh, Sunday evening. We had to be back by 7 p.m. on Sunday evening. And it was... Um, <sighs> It was hard. Like, I, you know, it's funny. Children will always make the best of a bad situation. A lot of people say to me, you know, about sending their kids to school and stuff, or they say, well, you know, you know, my child, you know, my child actually enjoys school or they don't maybe enjoy it, but they make the most of it. Or they look back on their time at a place that was hard and they say, well, you know, I didn't maybe love it, but I, you know, I, I'm, it was fine. And I think that human beings are programmed to make the best of every situation, whether it's a bad situation or a good situation, obviously, which is easier, but we're, we're programmed to make the best of it. So for boarding school, for me, it there were times when it was emotionally very, very, very challenging. But then there were also parts of it that obviously I enjoyed. You know, I there were times when it was it was great and it was wonderful and it was um and there was exciting things to do and and you had loads of friends and it was big wide open spaces and I did learn a lot in boarding school, but like, you know, whenever I look back on the balance of it, was it was it worse than it was good? It was very, very, very hard. It was very emotionally hard. And so what happened was my sister, Carrie, she was never very emotionally strong. 
Even to this day, I would always be the one who's emotionally, who's the emotionally strong one of the family. And Carrie, um, whenever we went to boarding school, she relied on me a lot. Now, Carol was the oldest, so she was a lot more uh, independent, I guess. And so she, you know, made her group of friends and she was totally fine. But Carrie always, always depended on me. She was always scared of the dark whenever she was younger and she was scared of dying and she used to wonder what would happen after you died. And she was very sensory. So she always had to wear her socks inside out and cut the labels off everything. And we always had to sleep with the light on. And she just would have been a lot more emotional and a lot more sensory as as a child. And so she would have, I never was scared of any of those things or never had any issues with any of those things. And so she relied on me a lot. And whenever we went to boarding school, she was like glue, like she stuck to my side. She never really made her own friends. She had friends that she wasn't in the same year as me. She was the year above me in school. But every break time, she used to come and find me and spend time with me. Every lunchtime, she spent time with me. In the evenings, she spent all of her time with me. And anytime that she was upset, I was always the one to comfort her. And I guess I remember, you know, there was quite a few times when, especially when we went back after the holidays, which was always really, really hard, you know, we would go to bed. Carrie and I had top and bottom bunk in a dorm. So there was a dorm of quite a lot of people, quite a lot of kids. Um, and because we were young, obviously. And so I would have been in bottom bunk and Carrie would have been in top bunk. And I remember, no, sorry, I was in top bunk. She was in bottom bunk. And I remember, you know, hearing her crying in bed at night and, you know, having to go down. And I used to climb down from top bunk and I used to get into bed beside her. And I used to put my arms around her and hug her. It's actually really emotional for me to even think back about it. But like, and so it was tough, you know, because we wanted to be home. We were young and we wanted to be home with our parents. That's actually really, really emotional for me and I didn't expect it to be. So I guess, you know, I was upset too and I was I was emotional and I was upset and I wanted to be at home and I didn't want to be here and I missed my mum and I, I guess though, so, oh goodness, I really didn't expect to be so upset. It's where I learned to be really resilient. You know, I would have got into Carrie's bed. And I guess in that moment, I felt that her pain was greater than mine because I'd always taken care of her. I'd always taken care of her. And I'd always, you know, a lot of times I had put aside my own feelings about things and I had overcome my own emotional state or my own feelings of upset at being away at boarding school or you know, needing my mom or if you fell and hurt yourself and like there's no one there whenever you're in boarding school, there's no one there to hug you when you hurt yourself or, you know, or anything like that. You just have to learn to get on with it. You just learn that pain is a fleeting thing, that it goes away, that physical pain goes away and emotional pain goes away. And you just, you may feel really, really upset in the moment, but that does go away. And so I used to get into, you know, Carrie's bed at night and she used to cry herself to sleep most nights. And I used to get into bed with her and hug her and, you know, try and make her feel better. And I guess in that moment, now that I'm thinking back at it, if I can just stop crying, <laughs> I think that um, what I learned was that I learned the weight of responsibility. I learned the 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 weight of caring for another human being um, over or placing, I guess, their feelings or taking care of them has a higher value than taking care of myself. It's really, it's hard to explain, but I guess the only way that I can, uh, the only thing I can liken it to is whenever you have a baby. So whenever you have a baby, you suddenly find yourself, you know, that the needs of your baby is so much more important than the needs of yourself. And you are sometimes, I remember, you know, kneeling up in bed, you know, winding, say, you know, Jack was my youngest baby. 
I remember, you know, feeding him through the night. I didn't have any. I had four kids under the age of six. I I was exhausted most of the time. And I remember, you know, feeding him whenever he woke in the night and then sitting up in bed and winding him and patting his back and winding him and just thinking, you are strong. You are strong. You can get through this. You can get through this because I knew I was going to be awake again in another, you know, two to three hours to feed him. And I knew that the, the night was short because the other kids got up at six or seven in the morning and I had to get up and get everybody breakfast and feed them. And so there was no rest. There was no lying in in the morning. There was, I never had a lie in ever in my life with the children. And so, but you just, you know, all you want to do is go to sleep. Your, your body is screaming for sleep and you're exhausted. And this, but this infant needs fed and winded. And what are you going to do? Like put it down and say, fuck you. You know, you're not. So you you put yourself, you, you overcome your body's feeling in order to take care of someone else. And that's what you do when you have a child. But unfortunately, I was put in that position um, as a young as a young girl to take care of my sister in that way, to really take care of her in a way that probably I really was not prepared for. But actually... But actually, it it was, you know, even though it was extremely painful and extremely tough at the time, I got through it and it made me, I guess, extremely resilient as an adult because I felt responsible for Carrie in a way that isn't normal for an eight-year-old girl. You know, I learned from a very young age the weight of responsibility because it is a weight. It is a weight. Like responsibility is is hard and it feels weighty and it feels like sometimes you just want to set it down. You don't want it anymore. You know, it's 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 hard whenever you really truly recognize your responsibility or you feel responsible for something. And I really did feel responsible for my sister. I really truly did because she was very fragile and very vulnerable and got very, very, very upset. And I knew that no one, our parents weren't there to take care of her. So I had to. And so I learned how to overcome how I was feeling in the moment. I learned that that no one is coming to take away your pain. No one is coming to save you. And no one was coming to save Carrie, but I guess that I felt like I was there and I was strong and that I could take this on. And not only that, but I should take this on. And to 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 lie there and listen to her cry herself to sleep was actually worse for me than getting down into her bed and comforting her and putting aside my own pain and discomfort and upset at not being home and missing my parents and all of those things uh, to take care of her. Uh, but what I learned, I guess, more than anything and I really have to try and not cry the whole way through this episode. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> like joking on the words here. But I think that what I learned more than anything was that pain passes and life goes on. Pain passes and life goes on. And, you know, in that moment when I'm lying in her bed and she's crying and I'm crying, and I'm trying to hold back tears because I'm trying to be strong for her and I'm hugging her and, you know, and, and I'm telling her it's going to be okay and I'm shushing her and whatever. I realized there was nothing I could do to change the situation. I couldn't promise her. I couldn't say, oh, I'll, I'll speak to mom or I promise I won't send you to boarding school next time or I promise this or I promise that. I couldn't promise her anything. I could not do anything to change the situation that we find ourselves in, nothing. But what I could do was simply offer comfort. And that comfort seemed to help her to feel better. And that was my main goal in that moment was helping her to feel better. And then whenever we woke up in the morning, you know, it was the morning again and everything and everything seemed brighter and we got dressed and we went to breakfast and we went about our day and, and everything seemed brighter. And so you learn that pain is momentary, pain is fleeting and pain passes. 
And that, I guess, helps you to develop resilience and strength over, you know, over the years where you realize that just because something is hard in the moment doesn't mean that it's going to stay forever. And just because something is hard in the moment doesn't mean that it gets you off the hook. Not liking boarding school and being very upset in the evenings. And a lot of people say, why didn't you tell your mom? We did tell our mom. But like, you know what it's like? I think today it's different. We parent differently. But whenever I was younger, you're talking 40 years ago here. Whenever I was younger, it was very much a, oh dear, well, that's awful. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're feeling upset. Back to school you go. You know, like there was, nobody let you off the hook 35 years ago. You were, you were just patted on the back and sent back to school again. So you really did realize that, you know, feeling upset about something did not get you off the hook. But I think that, um, I think that today the problem as well is that because we truly don't understand what it means to be responsible for something, what it truly means to to take responsibility for our lives and how that helps us to develop resilience later on in life or how that helped us to develop later sorry how so let me let me clarify that a little bit more. I think that many of us as a ch- as a child did not learn or as children did not learn responsibility. We did not learn truly what it means to be responsible. I'm going to talk about this in a second, what I really mean about this. I'm going to break it down for you. But I think as children, we really don't understand what it means to our core with that heavy feeling in your heart, or not even a heavy feeling, that strong feeling that you would have maybe when you have a baby, and then you know you really truly understand what it means to be responsible for this baby's life. I think that many of us, we don't learn that as children. We don't learn responsibility. And so therefore, we we grow up into adulthood and we never truly develop the tools or the skill set necessary to to have more or to fulfill our true potential in life. So what do I mean by this? Well, I just let even to talk about my own kids for a second, I truly strive to allow my kids the opportunity to be responsible for their lives from a very, very young age. And as many of you will know, we choose to unschool our children. So our children are have never been to school, but the two older boys, they went to a Steiner school whenever for just a couple of years, whenever they were younger, before we decided to take them out of school and embark on a life of radical unschooling. And but you know, we have always, always strived to give them responsibility for their lives. Now, many people believe that unschooling your children actually means that it's it's for the lazy parent. They believe that it actually means less responsibility for the children and that they will have um, less of a sense of right and wrong and a sense of, you know, how to do things in the world or how to be a producer in the world or how to grow up and get a job and, and all of these different things. This is what people believe. They believe that it means that unschooling means um, absence of responsibility. But it's actually completely the opposite because most kids today don't learn true responsibility. Most children today learn obligation. And that's what we, most of us, learned as children as well. We we didn't learn what it actually means to be responsible for something. We learned um, obligation as children. And obligation is completely different from responsibility. So what do I mean by that? Well, if I say you must do something and there's a downside if you don't, that's an obligation. So if I say to you, you must go to school, you must get up in the morning, get dressed, put your clothes on, have breakfast, get your coat on and get out the door and go to school. That's not you learning to be responsible for getting yourself you know, ready for school, getting yourself breakfast, all those different things. That's me obligating you 
to get up in the morning, get your coat and shoes on and get out the door. Now, of course, there is an element of responsibility that can be learned in there. But whenever there's a downside, if you don't do it, i.e. you're punished or you're coerced or you're forced, that's not that's not true responsibility. That is obligation dressed as responsibility. And then you say, oh, well, sending kids to school and teaching them to, you know, and, and making them do sports and making them do this and making them do all these different things. Every, every time we we make our kids, whenever it comes, we make our children do something, we believe we're teaching them to be responsible. But that's truly because we're all fucked up about what responsibility actually means. Most adults that I speak to cannot define the word responsibility. They truly have no fucking clue what it actually means to be responsible. So we're just children running around with our completely warped belief systems that were built whenever we were children, that were completely warped whenever they were built for us, teaching our children the meaning of responsibility when actually truly what we're teaching them is the meaning of obligation. We're not teaching them the meaning of responsibility. So let me tell you what responsibility actually is. Responsibility is if you want to do something or choose to do something and I uphold you when you can't uphold yourself, that's responsibility. So the difference is, if I say to you, or I say to my child, you have to go to basketball lessons. You must go to basketball lessons. And he's like, well, I don't really want to go to basketball lessons. You're like, well, you have to choose a sport and it's going to be basketball and you must go to basketball lessons or you must go to school or you must go to football or you must do something. Anytime there's a must do, that is not responsibility. That is obligation. Now, if you say to me, if your child, if my child says to me, I really want to learn basketball. And I say, great, you want to learn basketball? Fantastic. We can find you some, some basketball classes and basketball lessons. And I say to them, are you sure this is what you want to do? And they say, yeah, absolutely. And I say, okay, well, let's look at our options. So we look down and we say, right, well, there's there's these basketball classes. They're on a Monday and a Thursday. So it would, it would require you to commit to going on a Monday and a Thursday because I am, and this is a true story, by the way, because I am, and I'm also then daddy or I has to drive you there. And it's like, these are like 35 minutes away and and we're going to wait for you while you do it, and blah, blah, blah. So is this something that you are definitely wanting to commit to? It's a it's a 10-week course, and you know, it costs X amount of money. And he goes, yes, absolutely, 100%, that's what I want to do. So the first couple of weeks we go, and it's great. And, you know, we rearrange our schedules, and we, we you know, I take him on Monday, and Kai takes, or Ryan takes him on a Thursday. And so we go back and forth to basketball, and that's great. And then after three weeks, Kai says, oh, I don't want to do basketball anymore. And I go, Really? <laughs> Let's talk about this. So I'm like, why do you want why do you not want to do basketball anymore? Oh, because it's boring, because this or because that. Normally what happens is he's had a reaction to something which has happened inside basketball, which is generally if you just dig a little deeper, you will find what it is. So actually what happened was he didn't want to do basketball anymore because he had had a reaction to one of the coaches who had yelled at and shamed one of the other children. So bad, so bad to do. And my kids have never been to school, so they've never seen a child be shamed before or be yelled at. And so Kai, and Kai's so sensitive, he projected. I think what happened was the teacher yelled at or shamed this little boy who he couldn't control in the class. And Kai is so sensitive, he projected into the little boy and how he would feel if he was ever spoken to that way. And he didn't understand what the little boy had done to be, you know, to cause to be spoken to that way. So he decided he didn't want to go to basketball anymore because he was so terrified that that would happen to him because he couldn't see the chain of events which had happened. He couldn't see that the teacher was, you know, upset or annoyed or was trying to control or whatever. His cognitive mind couldn't grasp the situation. So he just wanted to avoid the situation in future because, you know, kids have never been to school generally are not usually. They have never experienced that group control or that group, you know, or that potential of being yelled or shamed. And so I said to him, well, I'm really sorry, but you can't give it up. And he was like, 
what do you mean? I said, you've committed to 10 weeks. We've paid for the 10 weeks. We've rearranged our schedules. You have a responsibility now to the commitment that you have made and you can't give it up. Well, do you think that went down well with Kai? No. What did Kai do? He cried. He screamed. He yelled. He called me the worst mommy in the world. He did everything he could to get out of going to basketball. But on a Monday, I made, now I knew this was going to be an issue. So on a Monday, I arrived home extra early. So I was like, Kai, you need to get your shoes on because we have to go to basketball. And he was like, I'm not going to basketball. I don't want it. You can't make me. And I was like, well, I actually can make you. And if you aren't going to go, well, there's going to be further consequences. And he was like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, those privileges that you have have, such as your computer and your switch and the electricity we paid for and all of those privileges that you have, those may start to systematically be taken away. So you may start to lose your privileges if you don't uphold your responsibility over here. So I made it uncomfortable enough for him that he was like, okay, fine, I'll go. Okay, guy, great. So he went and he got in the car. And then so every week it was, you know, well, it, then it got better, of course. But the first couple of weeks, he was like, I can't believe you're making me do this. And I was like, I know responsibility is tough, but you made the choice to go. And I'm, I'm afraid, you know, now, now you're going to feel the weight of that responsibility or you're going to lose something on the other side. And so eventually after a couple of weeks, then he he got back into the swing of basketball and his fear, you know, he realized he wasn't going to be shamed or yelled at by the teacher. We also spoke about that. And I showed him how the teacher, um, how the, the little boy had caused this to happen. He was a very disruptive child and how Kai was not the kind of child who was disruptive. He was always listening. He was always attentive. And even if he did make a mistake and he got yelled at, how that was nothing to do with him and that was everything to do with the teacher. So I broke down the whole process with him by talking through the entire situation from start to finish and helping him to see the complexity of the situation so that he felt better about it and understood it and understood his participation in it. This is true responsibility. This is responsibility where I see my participation in sending my child into an, envir into an environment which was potentially scary and threatening for him. So I thought, well, I am the one who has agreed for him to go here. I've chosen the teacher. I've chosen the class. So now I need to help him to understand exactly what happened. That's my responsibility. Then I looked at the Kai's responsibility for choosing to put himself in the situation in the first place and what would happen if I allowed him to let himself off the hook. Because if I allowed him, if, if the minute it got hard, I allowed him to let himself off the hook, then he would never, ever, ever learn to push through the hard thing in life. And the only bad thing that really happened was he got scared. He just got scared. Like nothing actually bad happened. It didn't even happen to him. The bad thing happened to another child and he got scared because of what he saw in the other child. So if I allowed him to not go to basketball because of a fear, I would teach him that fear is greater than responsibility. And that is not a lesson that I ever want to teach my children. But this requires you to be able to actually look at a situation in full, look at every single element of the situation and break it down into the smallest possible components so that you can talk it through and explain it to the child. But it also requires for you to be able to see or to be committed to seeing your responsibility in every single situation. And that's the difference between responsibility that is obligation and responsibility that is not. When you want to do something, Kai was the one who said he wanted to do the basketball and I up, I upheld him in his decision and I helped him to see it through. It took a commitment. Most of us just aren't willing as parents to do this. They, they say that unschooling is, is <laughs> unschooling is the lazy way to parent. Let me tell you, unschooling is the opposite of the lazy way to parent. It requires so much more 
thought and discussion and and deep integration of the concepts of life than just sending your child off to school. Let me let me tell you, it really does. Authoritarian control-based parenting is so much easier than than um than the way that we choose to do it because it's so it it's it's so much less time consuming. So it's definitely not for the lazy parent. But the reason that um most adults don't want to recognize their responsibility in situations is because it feels negative. So we don't want to recognize our responsibility in situations. We let ourselves off the hook whenever we feel bad about things. And so therefore, we let our children off the hook. So the reason why I was able to uphold Kai in that situation, the reason why I was able to break it down and say, I'm not going to allow your fear to be the most important part here. I'm not going to allow your fear to to stop you from moving forward and taking action and building self-esteem and doing something that you love. The reason I was able to do that is because projectively, I do not do that in my own life. I learned, just to go back to the situation I described in boarding school, I learned that fear and upset and all of those negative feelings that come with being away from your parents in boarding school and hurting yourself and feeling emotionally upset and missing home, I learned that they pass, that they are not the most important thing and that actually fear is just a body feeling. Being upset is just a body feeling. Like How many times have you cried your heart out and you cry and cry and cry and cry and you I did I just I did this the other week. I actually sat in the car in outside the office because I was feeling so deeply upset about something and I cried and cried and cried and I truly thought my heart was breaking. And then once I had stopped crying, I was like, oh, it's great. Stop crying. And then I felt better. And so I allowed myself to feel that emotion so deeply. And then I came into the office and I said to the girls, I was like, I just sat in the car crying for 10 minutes. And they were like, are you okay? I said, yeah, totally okay. I was like, I feel great now that I've had a good cry. And so what you realize is that fear is nothing to, to be scared of. And being upset is nothing to be scared of. And so you you feel bad in the moment and then the bad feeling passes and you do the, you do the hard thing anyway. Or you feel upset or scared in the moment and you just do the thing scared. People always say to me, but I'm so scared. I say, well, just do it scared. And they look at you like, oh, like they didn't even consider that was an option. I'm like, if you feel, if you feel scared, do it scared. Just don't allow scared, being scared to stop you from doing the thing. So most adults, so the reason why, to go back to my point, the reason why I was able to hold Kai accountable and not allow him to buy into his fear, to buy into his bad feeling and give up basketball was simply because I don't allow myself to buy into my own fear. I don't allow fear to stop me from doing anything in my life. And because of that, I'm able to achieve a huge amount or fulfill a huge amount of my own potential. But most adults don't want to recognize responsibility simply because it feels negative. So if this is you, don't beat yourself up because this may be where it came from, right? The reason it feels negative is because responsibility usually comes with blame. Blame and punishment whenever, especially whenever you're a child. So blame and responsibility usually go together, right? Hand in hand. And the reason why most people don't want to take responsibility is because as children, they are, it usually goes hand in hand with blame. What do I mean by this? Well, I remember whenever I was a young girl, I was about, let me see, five or six, maybe, I think. it was. Bef- I always uh, sort things in my head into before boarding school and after boarding school. So this was before boarding school. 
So I had obviously two older sisters. We had cousins who lived close by and they were always at our house playing. And my dad had a, a business. He had a car dealership, which was in the which was in the yard where the house was. So the business kind of was the house. The business and the house were, um, we used to say, to go across the yard to dad's office. So the business and the house were in the same kind of complex. So quite often, whenever we were younger, you know, my mom would have nipped out to the shops or my grandma was right next door as well. So we were allowed a lot of freedom to play in the house by ourselves. And I was obviously maybe six. So my older sister, Carol, would have been nine even though that's not very old we were definitely alone in the house when I say alone my dad was like 20 feet away in the office and my grandma was 20 feet away in her house next door but we were obviously in the house alone for a short period of time just playing and so we were playing um, on the stairs and at the top of the stairs my mum had this um, this antique kind of table with a uh, do you remember years ago they would before they had sinks and things in the bedrooms they would have had like a jug with like a big bowl of water and that's how they would have you know washed themselves they would have brought like a big jug up to the to the bedroom or the maids would or whatever and then they would have poured the hot water it's a very English thing actually they would have poured the hot water into the big bowl and then they would have used that to wash in the morning before they get dressed so my mum had one of these antique jugs and bowls can't even think of the name of it sitting at the top of the stairs on top of this uh, antique dresser and we were obviously playing around the stairs or we used to do like, cartwheels and things down the landing and we used to you know like put all of the the bed sheets and like duvets and pillows and things and then you know do all kinds of crazy shit like kids do somersaults and whatever else um onto the landing and this one particular day I remember I was doing some kind of somersault or something or swinging or whatever and I hit the jug in some way and the jug fell and cracked. Now, it didn't smash into a million pieces. It just cracked one side of it and it cracked so cleanly that I was able to set, pick up the cracked bit and set it back on the jug and it, and it didn't look like it had even been broken. You know, it was such a clean break and I remember being like, oh no, oh my God, you know, because we were obviously punished as children, you know, you know what happens, you know, something bad happens and you don't go to your child. Oh, honey, that's okay. No problem. You go, stupid bitch, you know, why did you do that? You know, we we instantly, we get angry whenever our kids do something, you know, which, which causes destruction, even if it's inadvertently, even if they drop the cereal or they make a mess or as children do, we get angry, right? We get angry at the children. We blame them. And this is the worst thing you can do with your children because it stops them from wanting to take responsibility, guys. So you need to stop that, okay? But we were blamed as children, so I know it's very hard. So I broke this jug this day and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I don't want to tell my dad. I don't want to tell my mom because I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get into trouble. And so I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll just set the jug back together and hope that nobody notices. And if anyone asks, I'll just pretend that it wasn't me. And uh, that was my strategy. So, of course, it didn't take very long for someone to notice. I think it was like a couple of hours later. And I heard dad saying, girls, and he was shouting and he was like, who broke the jug? And I remember being like, oh, oh shit, I mean, you've noticed already. And who broke the jug? And Carol and Carrie were like, wasn't me, wasn't me, wasn't me. And I remember being like, no, no, wasn't me. And daddy, and so he obviously knew it was one of us and we were lying. So anyway, he brought us all together. And so he goes, and he sat us down. He goes, now girls, one of you has broken the jug. And I promise that if you tell me who it was, I won't get mad. And I, you know, and I was sitting there going, do I believe him? Do I not believe him? Because you never really believe your parents when they say that, because what happens whenever they say that, then they get mad. So they lie to you, basically. So they're like, I promise I won't be cross if you just tell me who it was. And so I thought, I weighed up the upsides and the downsides, and he seemed pretty genuine. You know, he seemed like I wasn't going to get in trouble. So I was like, okay, daddy, it was me. And he went, it was you. And I said, yeah. And he goes, and he goes, right, that's it you're a bad girl. And he picked me up and he smacked me, right? He smacked me and he was like, that's it. I can't believe you lied to me before. Go to your room. And I was like, that 
fucker. <laughs> I was like, I didn't say it at the time, but I was so upset. Like he hurt, you know, he hurt me. He smacked me. And I remember being like, you know, just absolutely horrified. And that memory, whenever I was trying to think of a story to illustrate this point, this one kept coming in and coming in and coming into my mind because it, it was inadvertently, right? Here's the thing. My dad was well-intended, so I don't want you to think, that old fucker, you know, which I do sometimes think, my God, he handled that so badly. It wasn't that he was he had ill intent. He didn't want to hurt me. He wanted to teach me a lesson because he thought that you know, in his generation, how you taught children's less children lessons was by inflicting pain on them. If you inflict emotional or physical pain, which is basically what punish, punishment is, punishment is inflicting emotional or physical pain on someone to try to correct or change their behavior. And so he wanted to inflict physical, in this case, and emotional pain on me to stop me from being stupid in the future or basically not even stupid because I was a child. I was fucking six years of age. So to stop me from you know, or to make me think, I guess, in future, are there ornaments around me? Might something get broken? To do like risk assessment, you know, on the situation. Completely and utterly crazy to expect a six-year-old to, to be able to uh, make some kind of risk assessment, right, on their situation while they're playing. Because children are so myopic. They are so singularly focused. They do not do risk assessment. Um, and they shouldn't do, right? Any child at six years of age is doing some kind of risk assessment as to, you know, any child who goes to other children, by the way, oh, don't do that. You might get hurt or you might fall or be careful has very, very, very controlling parents because a child does not have that naturally. They learn that. And it's not a good thing for a child to learn because you literally stifle their whole being and you stifle their creativity. And so um, anyway, I was sent to my room and I was punished. It was the worst possible thing that could ever have happened because what that did to me was that taught me that, well, one, whenever you're honest, you get punished. It also taught me that making mistakes was bad. So it, and not only that making mistakes was bad, but that if you made a mistake, that something bad would happen. Now, why do you think I have such perfect issues? And let me tell you, I really do. I am a perfectionist to the highest degree, but therefore so was my father. My father is a perfectionist to the highest degree. So I not only learned perfection through him modeling it for me, but I learned perfection through being punished from not being perfect. And this was one of the situations where I learned that you do not make mistakes because if you make mistakes, you will get punished. Now, why is this even relevant to what I'm talking about? Well, in order to see your participation in the world, in order to really see your participation in the world and to truly take responsibility for something, you have to understand the chain of events that led to the incident that happened. So, you know, no one person is to blame for anything. And had my father sat me down and walked me through the chain of events that came to be for how that jug got broken, he would have allowed me to see my participation in perhaps where I wasn't mindful, perhaps where I hadn't assessed, you know, the, the situation around me. I might have actually learned something about risk assessment or about evaluating a situation and about I would probably I definitely would have learned to um to understand and experience myself in the world and myself in relation to the world. So I would have been able to see how 
I had participated or the choices that I had made that had caused that jug to be broken, how I had chosen to maybe play a little too close to ornaments, how I had chosen to be a little too exuberant that day, how I had chosen to show off to my cousins who I was playing with, I would have seen all of these choices and I would have had a deeper awareness and understanding of self. And I then had my dad also seen his responsibility and acknowledged his responsibility in the situation out loud to me and to himself, that would have given me a deeper understanding of further complexities of the world and human nature and how we're put together. So if he had have looked at first and foremost, and this is what I do with my kids, if he had have looked at, okay, how did I cause the jug to be broken? Okay. How did I, as in my dad, how did I cause the jug to be broken? How did, how did it come to be that the jug was even there in the first place? Well, who the fuck do you think bought the jug? Well, he bought the jug or he earned the money to give to my mum to buy the jug. So he might have said, well, I didn't buy the jug. Pam bought the jug. Well, at the, the time, my mum was a stay-at-home mum. She wasn't earning any money. So he earned the money. So his responsibility was he earned the money. He gave my mum the money to buy the jug. She chose to place the jug there, but he also did not move the jug, knowing he had three very young, exuberant children. Do you think a china jug uh, uh, set in a place where the kids play a lot is a good idea? No. If something is broken in your house and your child breaks it, it's your responsibility for having breakable things in a house where young children are playing. Whenever my kids were young, we removed all breakables from the house. We never had anything that could be broken or smashed, or we didn't care if walls got drawn on. We didn't have the best, highest end furniture. We never had anything white. Whenever you're, you have children, walls get painted and drawn on, carpets get ruined, things get spilled, your couches get shit spilt on them and popcorn down them and, and drinks spilt all over them. That's what happens when you have children. You have to acknowledge your responsibility of having children and set up an environment for them where they can explore and learn and you're not going to need to punish them. And so if he had have looked at his responsibility in how he participated and created the situation and then explained that to me and taken ownership of it, can you imagine how different my experience as a child would have been? I would have not only seen my participation, I would have seen him taking responsibility for his participation. And we could have had a beautiful learning experience together. And that is the astounding difference between Children who learn responsibility from a very young age and those who learn obligation and punishment. And it is the reason why many adults today, most adults, 99.9% .9 of adults, don't want to take responsibility. Because when we were children, responsibility came with blame and punishment. But it doesn't have to. And knowing this as an adult means that you can work to overcome it. One thing I always do in every single situation is to look at where I am responsible, where I am responsible. So I do this all the time in my company. If something in my company goes wrong or something happens or something, you know, doesn't go the way that we want or destruction is caused or money is lost, I never, ever, ever blame. You can ask any person who works for me and they will tell you, I have never, ever blamed. There are times when I have said, how did this happen? Not meaning who's who's responsible, who's to blame. And sometimes people get defensive. Sometimes I've said, you know, I'll ask just, I'll ask questions, and it's so funny to me because I see it all the time. So I will first of all, here's what I'll do. First of all, I look at the situation. I say, how am I responsible? So before I even, I don't even say it out loud. 
I look at my I look at myself and I say, how am I responsible? So where did I choose not to look at information? Where did I choose to allow someone to have responsibility before they were ready? Where did I not put a system in place that would have allowed this to, you know, to happen? So I look at if something goes wrong, first and foremost, I look at how I caused that thing to happen. Because if you can recognize where you caused it to happen, then you can you're not an you're not at the effect of the world. You are a you are a changer, a game changer in your own life. You are a causing agent in your life. So if I feel like I'm a victim of things that happen in my company, if I'm a victim of Alan, if I'm a victim of Jamie, if I'm a victim of Stace or Vanessa or of you know any of the, the the guys who work for me who who helped to run my company, if I if if I feel like they did something and I had no responsibility, then I am a victim of that person. I am a victim of that situation. Whereas if I look at it and I say, wow, okay, how did I cause this to happen? Then I can put steps in, in, in place to change it in the future, to stop it from happening again without blame. But sometimes I will ask, okay, how did this happen? Let's 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 look at how this happened. And, and sometimes people go, well, it wasn't me. It was such and such. And it wasn't me. And I'm like, no, 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 listen, understand. I'm not blaming you. I'm just asking the question, was this tested beforehand? Was this done beforehand? And then the person will say, no. And I'll say, great. Okay. So now we know that it wasn't tested. So that's something we need to do in future. But it's amazing how defensive people get immediately. They think they're being blamed and they immediately want to go, I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible. Everybody wants to to, to literally to, to avoid responsibility, to throw off the responsibility because responsibility comes with such a negative feeling. For me, responsibility comes with a really positive feeling. I have literally, since I've been an adult, reframed responsibility into something which feels magnificent. It feels magnificent. Don't get me wrong. It is hard, but it feels magnificent. The more responsibility you recognize that you have in your life, the more of a producer you will be, the more of a purposeful, happy life you will live, the more of your potential you will fulfill. It doesn't always feel good to have responsibility because it is weighty and you do, it makes you, you know, you have to keep going, you have to keep moving, you have to keep, you know, you're not passive in your life. But let me tell you, it is truly the one area, if you recognize where you're responsible, will transform your life. Anyone who seeks to avoid responsibility is basically just telling you that they haven't grown up yet. They haven't grown up. But here, and here's the thing as well. Responsibility exists whether or not you choose to recognize it. So something may happen in my company and someone goes, well, if you just had to listen to me, then I, you know, this wouldn't have happened. What they're basically saying is I have no responsibility here. And, and, but they do have responsibility. They're just choosing to ignore where they are responsible. And the only thing that does in my company or anyone's company, anyone who chooses to do that, the only uh, the only thing that that does is it makes you a victim of the situation. So anytime someone says to me, you know, and this happens with, you know, my husband as well <laughs> all the time, you know, they say, you know, no, that, that wasn't me. I, I'm not responsible. You know, if you, well, and, and Ryan loves to say, if you just had to listen to me in the first place. And I always say to him, well, what you're basically saying to me is that you have no responsibility here. And you're saying that you were a victim of this situation. No, I'm not a victim. I'm like, well, you're telling me you're a victim because you have, you know, if you look at where you're responsible, then you, then you're not a victim. Then you can, then you can change things in the future. And imagine how that 
that feels. Try that on in your body. Imagine being able to look at any situation, no matter how negative, no matter how hard, or no matter how much you do not want to look at where you're responsible. Imagine if you look at that situation where you feel like a victim. You feel completely and utterly out of cause. You feel like you have no say in the situation or you've, you haven't been able to cause it in any way. Imagine if you could look at that situation and see or feel where you are responsible. I had someone say to me once, you know, and this is a really, really, really hard example, and I totally tried this one on. I was explaining this concept, and and a mother said to me, well, I'm sorry, but I don't think you can always be responsible. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, my son, her seven-year-old son had leukemia. My son has leukemia, and I can't see how I am responsible for him having leukemia. And I said, you're right. That is a really, really hard one. I said, but let me ask you. I said, who gave birth to your son? And she was like, oh, (laughs) I said, you know, and I'm not saying that you are responsible for his leukemia, but you are responsible for giving birth to him. You are responsible for his life. But that doesn't mean that you're being blamed for him having leukemia. This is, it's a horrendous situation that he has leukemia, but you know, you did choose to have sex with your husband and have a baby and that baby now has leukemia. So you do have responsibility in the situation which caused him to be there. Somebody asked me once, I asked, um, it was years ago, somebody asked me, how are you responsible for World War II? And I was like, World War II? Are you fucking shitting me? I was like, how am I responsible for World War II? And I really was like, I just couldn't figure it out. And then one day it hit me and I sat with it for ages because I'm really weird that way. Sat with it for ages and I realized I am responsible for World War II every time I talk about it. Every time I think about it, every time I I discuss it, every time I watch a movie on World War II, like we as World War II is gone, right? It's gone. It happened a long time ago, but yet we're still making movies about it, writing books about it, studying what happened. And people may say, well, it's necessary to do that in order to, you know, to, to make sure it won't happen again. I don't think that understanding it is ever going to stop it from happening again because the world moves at such a pace. And, they, and a lot of people are saying that the whole coronavirus pandemic is now basically World War III. So, but that's a whole other story. It's a whole other podcast. But um, so basically what I'm saying is every time you talk about World War II, you are responsible for keeping it in the consciousness of the human psyche. How are you responsible for oil spills in, you know, someone asked me this recently as well, like there was a massive oil spill in the ocean. How are you responsible for the oil spill? And you can go, well, I'm not responsible for that. Then you can ask yourself, well, do I or have I ever used oil in my house to, to, to heat my house? Do I use oil in my car? Do I, you know, it was actually diesel, I think it was, you know, do I fill my car? with diesel? Do I choose to drive a car that requires diesel? You know, you can you can see your participation as far as you want to see it. But just because you choose not to see it doesn't mean it's not there. The participation and the responsibility is always there. But whether or not you choose to see it is a measure of how successful you will be in this world. When you blame someone, you give them all your power. But when you recognize your responsibility, you are no longer a victim. Responsibility breeds resilience. Once you recognize the full extent of your responsibility, you become an unstoppable and potent force in this world. Everything you want becomes within your reach. So to bring it right back to my original point where people were asking me, you know, Kim, how are you ripped and rich? How are you so resilient? Can you teach resilience? Yes, I can teach resilience. Resilience is taking on more responsibility. It is 
seeing your participation in the world. It is seeing how you are responsible for every single thing that happens in your life. It's about it's about taking on responsibility for a goal. So if you decide that you want to make a million dollars or you decide that you want to get ripped in the gym or you want to build muscle or you want to have a better relationship with your spouse or you want to have a better relationship with your children. And I'm always talking about, you know, business, um, what is it? Uh, money, mindset, and relationships are the the three kind of areas that I really focus on. And it is true. But if you want something in your life and you set a goal, then you are responsible for achieving that goal. And if you do not achieve that goal, no one in this world is to blame. No one except you. You can develop resilience as an adult. I developed it as a child because I was forced to by taking care of my sister Carrie and also by being put in a very difficult situation from a very young age. I developed emotional strength as a child. I developed resilience and I saw my responsibility and my participation in being a driving agent in my life and being a a potent force in my own life. I realized that that emotion was fleeting and emotion passed. I realized that I was the only one who could and would be responsible for everything that happened in my life. And I, I, and then as an adult, whenever I began to see, I began to choose to look at the areas that I was responsible or the areas where I was avoiding responsibility because of the incidences, like the one I described to you with the broken jug, those are the areas where I really wanted to avoid responsibility because I was afraid I was going to be blamed. Every time I found myself avoiding responsibility, I began to look at why I wanted to avoid responsibility. And instead, I chose to look at where I was responsible. So if you want an exercise to really start to transform this in your life, here is what I recommend that you do. And this exercise, when you do it, will literally transform your life. Because when you feel the weight of responsibility, it spurs you into action. And when you are spurred into action, you will move forward towards your goals. You will develop resilience and you will develop a discipline and a consistency and a driving force, a momentum to push you forward. So here's the exercise that I want you to do. I want you to start to recognize all of the areas in your life where you are responsible. And I want you to begin to recognize Anytime you want to blame someone else for something, this may be you want to blame your husband for not letting the dog out. It may be you want to blame your children for breaking something or making a mess. It may be you want to blame your boss for being a shitty boss in work. It may be that you want to blame somebody for not filling your car up with gas and you run out with gas. It may be that you want to blame the government because of the restrictions that they are imposing on you because of coronavirus and shutting your gyms. I want you to look at how are you responsible? Where is your participation in these things? You may not be responsible for coronavirus and you may not be responsible for the government, but if you choose to abide by the things that the government asks you to do, and I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't, by the way, but if you choose to wear a mask and you choose to avoid gyms or you choose to close your business and you choose not to say anything whenever you don't agree or you choose to agree and not say anything, wherever it is, wherever you are making choices within that situation is where you have responsibility for the situation or for participating in the situation. So rather than feeling like a victim in a situation, I want you to actively 
as you move forward in your life, especially in the areas where you do not want to take responsibility, I want you to look at how you are responsible for creating the situation in which you find yourself, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. And when you start to do this as a practice, this is what I did about 10 years ago. I started to do this as a practice and it transformed formed my life. I started making changes. I started recognizing where I was the one who had caused this or didn't cause this. I stopped feeling like a victim. I started feeling like a causing agent. And honestly, my life transformed when I started to do this. And I can stand here in front of you now saying I have achieved some of the most like amazing goals that I set for myself in a very, very short space of time. And the reason how and why I have managed to achieve them is because of the responsibility I see in the world, my participation I see in being a causing agent in my own life and in the world on a macro scale. And that is truly a game changer for going after things that you want, for building discipline, building consistency, and most of all, building resilience. Resilience and responsibility go together and they are different than obligation. So do not obligate yourself. Look for where you're responsible for for participating in the situation that has brought you to where you are now, look at where you want to go and start to look at all of the areas where you're responsible, which basically means why are you not doing the things that you know you should be doing to move you closer to the thing you want? Why are you not doing them? Why are you choosing to stay stuck? Why are you choosing to stay where you are? Why are you choosing to stay in a bad relationship? Why are you choosing to stay on the couch? Why are you choosing not to go to the gym? Why are you choosing not to finish that that program that you purchased? Why are you choosing not to meal prep on a Sunday and to figure out the macros and calories. You're not a victim. You're not a victim, but why are you choosing? Where's your responsibility and how, how can you stop blaming others for your situation, take more responsibility and ultimately achieve more in your life? How can you be unstoppable? Because believe me, I know what it feels like because I am, I wouldn't even say I've scratched the surface of my potential, but I certainly feel like I'm I'm getting closer and closer and closer every day. And, you know, it feels heavy at times, but damn, it feels good. Damn, it feels good. And I really, really, really want more for you. I want you to have more for yourself. I want you to be happier. If you can truly look at your life and say, you know what? I'm so happy. I'm so joyful. I'm content with where I am. I'm content with what I've achieved. I have no need, no desire or n- to achieve any more or do any more. I'm 100% happy with every single aspect of my life. Well, then he or she who has the most joy wins. I applaud you if you have reached that point in your life. I truly, truly applaud you because you have won the lottery. You've won the lottery if you are truly 100% happy with every area of your life. But if you're not 100% happy with every area of your life, take this first step in being responsible for how you caused yourself to be here and take steps to change it and know that if you truly do this deep, deep and oftentimes very hard work, it will absolutely and utterly transform your life. What did you think? Did you enjoy this one? That was a good one for me. I haven't had like a real, a real heart-wrenching session for a while because I've just been exhausted, I have to be honest. And I find recording, find recording this podcast quite hard the last few weeks, but I really feel like I've got my mojo back today. I really felt this was a good one. And uh, and it is something which is is very personal to me and something which I work on every single day. So I do hope that you enjoyed it. I do hope that you are, you know, fired up now to see your participation, to see, you know, where you're responsible and also to stop punishing your kids. Honestly, guys, if I can leave you with 
any note whatsoever. It is those of you who are parents, punishment of children and making them feel bad and blaming them is the worst thing you can do for their adult lives. It is the worst possible thing you can do because it just stops them from wanting to take responsibility. And when somebody blames somebody for something else and they don't want to take responsibility, you basically stunt their growth. You stunt their potential as an adult to achieve great things in their lives. And great things don't necessarily mean more money. It means greater chance of happiness and a greater chance of success for whatever that means for them. So truly, if I can tell you anything or if there's one takeaway from this podcast, it is please stop blaming your children. Please stop punishing your children. Be really open with them about where you are responsible for things that they do wrong and know that children are all well-intended. There's no bad intent in children. They just play and they just, they're just they just unaware and they're blank canvases and they really have no bad intent. There's no bad intent in children. They are all so well-intended and if we just take the time to parent them effectively, to parent them correctly and to really love them deeply the way they deserve, it changes their lives and it changes their futures. Garen, I promise you, I know from experience, I'm just watching my own children grow up the way I've parented them and I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but dear God, I am astounded at these little human beings and, you know, and their participation that they see in the world and their ethics and their moral code and how well they are developing. I'm, I'm so, so, so proud of them. Um, guys, I would love it if you would leave me a review and let me know how you enjoyed this episode. Don't just leave me a review to win a podcast or to, sorry, to win a program. Please leave me a review and let me know if this episode touched you. You know, I read every single review, every single review that is left. I go around the internet looking for them and also I get like updates emailed to me. I read every single review. So please leave me a review and let me know if you touched this, if this episode touched you. Let me know what you plan to do to take responsibility or an area or an aha moment that you had. Even if you don't want to write me a review to leave it, send me a message on Instagram and let me know um, how this touched you, if it touched you and and where you realize something or recognize something which changed your life. Because I just love reading your stories and I love connecting with you guys because I really do feel you whenever you're listening to these podcasts. And I'm talking here into this microphone. I, I know I'm not just talking into the microphone. I know I'm really speaking to each and every one of you. And that brings me so much pleasure to know that we're connecting on that level. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, I loved recording this episode for you and I will see you next week or speak to you next week for another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Have a wonderful week wherever you are. From my heart to your heart, big love, big kiss from me to you. And I will talk to you next week. Have a wonderful day. Bye for now.